0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another special episode of the Eat Local New York podcast, Conversations from the Palace. This is episode three, and it's me sitting down talking with the one and only John Stage from Dinosaur Barbecue. I don't know if you're like me, but I take great pride in being here in Syracuse and knowing that Dinosaur Barbecue is from Syracuse, New York. You know, people come to town just to visit Dinosaur. Uh, Tourists come in town, people, you know, parents come in, you know, their kids at SU or SUNY or whatever the hell it is, wherever they're from, (laughs) college parents come in town, what do they do? They go line up at Dinosaur Barbecue. It's just really cool to think that this restaurant that has such national notoriety is here, based in Syracuse, New York. I love that. And as a barbecue enthusiast myself, someone who's lived in the holy land of barbecue, central Texas, uh, someone who enjoys barbecuing at home, smoking brisket and and ribs and pork at home and trying to perfect that, which I have am far from. It was really cool to sit down across from John and talk to him about that and talk to him about the art of smoking meat and getting some tips from him. And it's even cooler to think, you know, my dad... Has been in the food service and hospitality industry for his entire life, and I, I, my dad makes his own barbecue sauce, and it's different than anything I've ever had. I've never been to Memphis before, and dad, my dad used to work in Memphis and uh, work in restaurants in Mem- in Memphis, and that's really where he got uh, his barbecue sauce recipe from. And it's just it's a straightforward Memphis barbecue sauce. And uh, it's cool to 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 see that to hear John talk about how he used to go to Memphis, and you know that's where he got a lot of his his knowledge from. And I don't know, it just it was really cool to sit down across from this legend, because uh, that's what John is in the food service industry, especially here in Syracuse. John Stage is a legend in the restaurant world, and I'm so pumped to have been able to sit down and talk to him. Can't wait for you to listen to this week's episode. I do want to give a big shout out to our sponsors. You know, these, these uh, you know, for a local small business like ours, these episodes cost us a lot of money, and we hired this awesome production crew, film crew to come in, audio engineer, had some great production assistants help us out on these episodes, and, uh, you know, none of it would have been possible if it weren't for our sponsors, Uh, and our sponsors were lorenzo's wholesale foods right here in syracuse new york if you're a local restaurant and you are looking for a food wholesaler there's really no other option that you have that's truly a local company than lorenzo's so check them out up in syracuse uh also big shout out to restaurant qb bud laura big sponsor on this on these episodes couldn't could not have done it without bud and uh yeah bud was hanging out with us all day and it was just great to have him there and a huge shout out to visit syracuse awesome 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 to have visit syracuse partner with us on these episodes so thank you so much to our sponsors well without further ado let's get into this episode conversation between myself and john State. <laughs> John, stage. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. We're recording at the Palace today with people who I feel have made an impact in the Syracuse restaurant community. Mm-hmm. So we've had the Fiaki family in earlier today. Mm-hmm. You know, now at Amano and mm-hmm. uh, Eric Divendorf was in just a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, raised you know seventy thousand dollars for restaurants uh, mm-hmm. earlier this year, and you know it's really exciting to think about the um, impact Dinosaur Barbecue has had on the restaurant scene here in Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it's not just kind of like hometown pride for this mm-hmm. established successful business that's gone out into the world and made a name for itself and for the city. But even outside of the restaurant community, they, those two out there can tell you the times I've DM'd them mm-hmm. With screenshots from Parks and Rec about the dinosaur barbecue sauce bottle that's in that one episode, you know, and uh, <laughs> that's good. it just—it's really cool to think mm-hmm. that uh, you know that there's a business here that's made that big of an impact out there. Mm-hmm. So you've been in business. You started in 1983. Is that right?
1: 83 was when I started the um, concession business. 1988 is when we opened up the first dinosaur at that location. Okay. So yeah, 83 we went from. It's called Dinosaur Productions. Then it became Dinosaur Concessions. Then it became Dinosaur Barbecue. Yeah. So.
0: Are you originally from Syracuse? No, I'm originally from the Metro New York area. Okay. Yeah. What What made you land here in Syracuse? You know, my father got a job up
1: here, so we moved up when I was 13 years old.
0: So you started out as kind of like traveling, right?
1: Yeah, we, we started off doing motorcycle shows, fairs, festivals, uh, sausage, peppers, and onions, and steak sandwiches. So. In order to differentiate myself from my competition in the in the sausage business everyone did like a marinara sauce hmm. I was like man we got to be different let me make a barbecue sauce because I had no reference point of barbecue at this point yeah um, then we started getting on the fair circuit so I was like a almost like a carny for like five years okay. so I would travel up and down the East Coast doing fairs festivals motorcycle shows and then once I started crossing the Mason-Dixon line they started asking me why barbecue was in my name if I'm doing uh, Italian <laughs> sausage. And I really didn't have a, an answer for them. But I went out and that it, it started me thinking, like, what the hell is barbecue? <laughs> you know, my reference point of barbecue was what I was doing, putting sausage on a grill. So that became, that was around 1985, 1986. And then it mm-hmm. became a search for that craft at that point. And by the time we opened up in 88 in Syracuse, so I got kind of burnt out from all the road traveling you know, yeah. it 's it's, it's a fun it was a fun life for a little bit, but five yeah. years of it got got to be a grind so eighty eight we opened up as a dinosaur barbecue and I imagine the barbecue was a little middling at that point <laughs> I, you look back and I was like, man, did we actually do that <laughs> so it 's been an evolution it 's yeah. been a constant evolution
0: what's your i mean what i mean what's your training like i mean i can 't i don 't know what the barbecue scene was. Back then, today mm-hmm. it's really romanticized, right? There's like this, yeah. you know, love for and this passion for craft barbecue and, and all over the country. Mm-hmm. I used to live in central Texas. And,
1: <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's the that's brisket country. Oh,
0: for sure. Yeah. And forget about getting anything without slices of white bread and, right, you know, right. pickles and white onions.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah you know, if, if you look at when we started, there was no Internet. There were no cookbooks on hmm. barbecue barbecue was an incredibly regional thing and my first foray was into memphis okay like for me it was all about memphis and pork hmm. until i went to central texas yeah i was like damn man you know this this is what brisket is
0: memphis so, was kind of the hot scene for barbecue at the time right well, well it still it still got I its, mean, it still is yeah
1: but but it's pork yeah there's,
0: there's no brisket
1: so we didn't even do god i used to to London broils back in the day oh, when really? I first started yeah but it was to me was like you know it was Memphis I used to fly into Memphis that's how I started brewing my barbecue sauce hmm. I used to brew it in B- Blyville, Arkansas I'd, I'd fly into Memphis and then rent a car and then I would make the sauce itself this yeah. little hillbilly plant up in Blytheville. Hmm. but Memphis to me was everything but going back to my point was you had to figure that out it was all trial and error there was no youtube videos on how to barbecue there was no other information yeah. and there was nobody in the northeast that was doing it at the mm-hmm. time hmm. so it became a lot of so so my learning was very much trial and error yeah and you know i still look at it as a craft barbecue is it is a craft but it's a craft i'm i i still think i'm still learning it to this day there's always something and it's you know you take a rough tough Piece of meat and turn it into something oh, yeah. juicy and tender like you would never uh cook a steak to 205 degrees right. but you'll cook your brisket to that so it goes against everything you think you know as a cook um, so yeah there's i don't know man i've been doing it for so long you know i'm going on you know 30 plus years doing wow it, so um
0: yeah i got into uh, as most people did during the pandemic uh, i got really into cooking mm-hmm. and uh, there's two things i was trying to really get into one of them was pizza mm. and making really great pizza at home, mm. uh, which I never really successfully did. Mm. I went with the, uh, uh, the pizza um, steel route. Mm. I tried the stone for a little bit, but it just didn't work. So mm. I went with the pizza steel. And um, then out of my passion, had the inventor of the pizza steel, Andrus Langson on our mm. podcast during the pandemic, which was pretty cool. And <laughs> nice. got some tips from him on mm. you know, how to go home and make pizza. The other thing I was trying to, I bought a Weber kettle. and I was like, mm. All right, I'm going to smoke that way. My wife, um, because she knows me too well, refused to let me buy a uh, stick smoker. Mm -hmm. And um, so I wound up going with the Weber kettle and just, Mm -hmm. you know, snake method, wood chips, doing it that way. I did uh, a brisket Mm -hmm. at maybe the height of beef prices during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I drove an hour and a half away to Earlville and bought it from a farmer and okay. bought this like 19 pound brisket for mm-hmm. like $250. I mean, it was just <laughs> ridiculous. Came home, invited like 10 of our friends to a backyard hangout mm-hmm. and uh, said, hey, I'm smoking a brisket. First time I've ever done it before in my life. <laughs> Hoping <laughs> that it will work. seen about 14 hours. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, luckily it turned out pretty good. It really turned good. out okay, yeah. Good. Uh, our dog ate about a third of it off the counter, but that was pretty good. The one thing I'll say that I've always had trouble with and I have yet to perfect is pulled pork for some reason. Hmm. I, I either pull it way too late or just too early.
1: Okay, well, um, boy, see brisket is more difficult to cook than, than pulled pork. So just um, look at your bone. When that bone, if it gives it out too quick, yeah. you kind of overcooked it. Yeah. If it's got just a slight pull oh, yeah. and it comes out, you're pretty good.
0: Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, but it really is just some. there's something about smoking barbecue, you know, barbecue. Hmm. Being able to go out there, spend all that time with your smoker, you know, relax, um, you know, keep an eye on it, really mm-hmm. dial this thing in that takes hours upon hours and then comes out and is just absolutely delicious. You know,
1: just, it starts with your fire, man. You know, you look at barbecue, it's it's fire. It's as you could do as little as salt and pepper, meat and smoke. Yeah. So your fire is your driver. Yeah. But that getting that fire right and getting that smoke nice and clean is your first step. Yeah. Buying the right piece of meat. We use prime brisket. Mm-hmm. So I, why do I use prime? I like the marbling in it. You pay more for it. For but, sure. So you got to make sure that piece of meat is right, and then your, you know, your seasoning. Um, like I said, you could do a great job with salt and pepper, but then it's the smoke from the fire. But you don't want too smoky. So it's really if you you obsess on the right fire, there there's your there's your driver right there. It's got to be clean smoke.
0: Now I've heard this. I don't know if it's true. Is it true that you? Will get updates from different locations on what the, like, barbecue looks like throughout the day?
1: Oh, yeah,
0: twice a day. Wow.
1: See, what you're eating for lunch, we put in the night before. What you're eating for dinner, we put in in the morning. Hmm. So going going back to what I said before, the the craft of barbecue is taking something, a rough, tough piece of meat, and turning it into something, you know, um, delicious. So... I can see from that picture what that meat looks like. I mm. could tell you if it was cooked properly. I can I could tell you if it's, you know, if it's tight or the the fire was bad or, you know, something. And then we have a phone call. What happened to that piece of meat? <laughs> that looks beautiful. You know, it's gonna be a good night. So there's a saying at the uh, dinosaur, the brisket's perfect, every, it's a good day. Everything's gonna go well. If the brisket ain't right, it ain't a good day.
0: <laughs> so what was it like uh, way back when opening up Dinosaur Barbecue in in Syracuse, New York.
1: Mm, Man, what was it like? Well, first couple of years, uh, probably, thank God I was in the restaurant business or I would have starved. (laughs) So it wasn't really until about 1991 that we started. We were were just, uh, man, we were breakfast, lunch, dinner. Really? Uh, Yeah, we actually had a pretty good breakfast. Hmm. Um, But it was like, you know, $2 for two eggs. Right. But anyways, I I hated doing breakfast. I hated getting up at that time in the morning, so... It wasn't until the latter part, we started getting an audience, um, and then we got our liquor license. Once we got our liquor license, it was able to expand, because we were just in that front room. Then we took over the bar, because that was a, um, the N&H was a famous bar back in the day that was there for 50 years. So once we did that, we're like, well, we're going to go in the bar business now. Barbecue always wants to have And back then you know just a long neck we didn't have any draft beer but you needed a beer with your barbecue once we did that that's when and and, you know two years of refining your craft a little better um yeah then things started started popping around 91 92.
0: it's uh I, i took it as a sign from uh the almighty the day that i bought the brisket I then found Shiner uh, Shinerbach in the grocery store, oh, there, and oh, I hadn't seen it since I'd been in <laughs> Texas. So uh-huh. I made sure and scooped up a six pack and there you go. and had one. I always cheers the the smoke whenever I pu- first put it on, and mm. that morning with the Shinerbach. maybe that's why the brisket turned out so good. Yeah, yep. yeah. So at what point, you know, when you're starting the restaurant, you know, you're in Syracuse, you know, you get the liquor license. At what point do you get the desire for, or the passion, or, or the vision for building this restaurant? beyond what it was
1: uh you know let's see so in everything everything went a certain way so 88 we opened up and then 10 years later I opened up Rochester so it took 10 years for that next location
0: did you have a lot of people asking you to open up a second between then yeah yeah Yeah, we
1: did and finally you know I started I I went from that plant in Blytheville and started doing my barbecue sauce in Rochester Hmm. And I fell in love with this piece of architecture. It was a 1905 train station in downtown Rochester. So I started looking around Rochester, and I kept coming back to this place.
0: Hmm.
1: And that's so it was almost like the lore of that beautiful building yeah. was what I. So we went in there, and that you know, luckily that hit. And then um, yeah, I guess I guess being a younger man at that time, I was much more ambitious. Mm-hmm. So it was like yeah, let's let's keep growing this thing. I had a you know ton of energy, and, yeah. uh, you know, it was only, what was it, like 28, 29 okay. at that point, so. Um, and then we went to New York in 2004. Hmm. So, you know, it went outside the realm of how you yeah. are supposed to grow. Right. <laughs> I just plopped myself into, uh, <laughs> you know, the biggest market in the United States, the most competitive market in the United States. But that, that, we did a, you know, we've been, we're 18 years in Harlem now.
0: Wow. So, What was your I mean, what's the vision like when you're when you're opening up, you're going from Syracuse to Rochester and then into New York? Are you thinking back then, you know, listen, one day I want to have all these locations and this, you know, great, you know, dry rub product and great sauce product. And
1: No, I wish I could tell you that there was a master plan. (laughs) Everything kind of just unfolded as I I was very opportunistic, I should say, if something if there was an opportunity that I really liked. I would do it, or I'd pursue it, but hmm. I did not have a master plan for this. It all just evolved as I went. Um, so, no, there was there was no <laughs> master plan. But like I said, I was, uh, you know, I was always looking for what's, you know, what else, what's next, what else can we do, and you know, these these opportunities unfolded.
0: I talked to a lot of um, restaurant owners today who are successful with one, and I think it's really hard. I'm sure for any business owner, mm. but especially in the restaurant industry, because there's a, there can be a lot of outside influence who aren't familiar with the industry, aren't familiar with you know, the cost associated, you know, the mm. prop, all that kind of stuff. And they're just kind of looking at the opportunity and they're always encouraging, open up a second. You're doing right. great there. You do great with this spot. Mm. You should do it. And I talk to a lot who it's really difficult to turn that down. It's really challenging. To say no, I need to be a little bit more deliberate about this mm-hmm. and build this footing before we go anywhere else. Right. Um, I can't imagine back then. You know, I'm sure first or maybe only barbecue place back in the day here mm-hmm. in Syracuse. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you had a lot of people saying, "We've got a great second location for you." Yeah,
1: yeah, you do. You just gotta, um, you gotta be deliberate about it, and and. And I wasn't really. When I, when I did my second, I did not put in any type of infrastructure to be able to accommodate a second. Hmm. So what that hmm. meant was me racing up and down the throughway yeah. constantly. So if you are going to expand, you should really get a plan together of what to do and how to do it and put all the processes and procedures in place. This is lessons I've learned, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to... Um, you know, you're going to kill yourself like I did for years. Yeah. You know, um, I tried to do everything myself. It wasn't until I started, you know, building uh, the right team and, um, you know, getting the right players in place was even any type of expansion. Um, not that it wasn't doable, just it, it was a heavy burden to try to do things the way I did it. Mm-hmm. I would never do that. The younger, what I would tell my younger self is, you know, every, everything I just said, make yeah. sure that you got all those. Because once you start expanding, man, it's a. Uh, it can be very difficult.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, very you unlock difficult. that door, it, it kind of takes off. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so different when you're not there to see the things that need to get done.
1: Well, that, that's that's the biggest thing is you have to look at the world through the lens of you not being there. So you open up your first restaurant and you're there morning, noon, or night. Everyone knows you. Everyone. Now you have to get everybody used to you not being there. And then that becomes a problem in itself or, you know, get somebody... In there, that is going to do as good or better of a job. That would be the most ideal thing. But you really got to watch it because now you're you're all over the place versus being in that one. And when you're in a restaurant, you can see it, feel it, breathe it, you know, every little thing that's going on in that. When you start expanding, you have to put in the processes and procedures for that shit to keep going without you.
0: So you're doing all the smoking in the early days. Oh, yeah. At what point was it that you said or that you went out and found somebody to help with that or take that over?
1: It was when I decided to open up in Harlem is when I
0: said I need to. So you were still doing it all for Rochester?
1: Well, not all the smoking. That's that's impossible. Um, No, but, you know, I got a person in place in Syracuse or a team in place to do the barbecue. And then a team in place to do Rochester. So me back in the pits was really, I turned you know, being on the day-to-day back there. I'm always, I'm, I'm still, that's right. my first stop during the day. And, um, but you got to get the right people in there because that's, and especially the way we did it back then, it was very, very laborious.
0: Was it challenging to turn that over?
1: Y- yeah. Yeah, that was.
0: Um, we've hired, you know, I've, you know, we're, this is the one, I mean, besides all of these people sitting here that are mm. helping me out massively today. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is the first time that I've ever turned something over. You know, we mm. do you know, our podcast and videos for our clients and that kind of stuff. But with the exception of Kristen uh, or Dave, who helped me out from time to time on, on podcasts, it's a one man show. Mm. And um, uh, even today, it's challenging to put, take my mind out of. I don't need to know what's happening on every single camera. They have it, you know. There you go. So, and I got good people then. Yeah, and this yeah. is something that a lot of people know how to do. I mm-hmm. could not imagine doing that as uh, a restaurant owner of a legit barbecue joint mm-hmm. then, in a market where there probably aren't many pitmasters that exist at the time.
1: No, <laughs> you have to turn people into pitmasters. But <laughs> there, yeah, there's very few people that come to you that have a lot of experience. Actually more now than, than ever before, but um, back then it was absolutely
0: nobody. Yeah, I'd imagine there's probably a lot more today because it is it has been such a, a popular,
1: you mm. know. Well, people want to learn the craft also.
0: Yeah. And they
1: take, you know, once once you start putting out good barbecue, people take pride in it. So like I said, in that picture, if I if I, I see something that isn't right, I'm like, how could that happen? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we have pride. <laughs> how, did, how did that happen? So it, yeah, and it doesn't get, so, you know, every day at every dinosaur, 12 o'clock and 4 o'clock, we have a tasting. So mm. we just lay everything out and everyone looks at it, inspects it, tastes it, is it consistent. And that's a great learning tool for new people to get their, their taste calibrated and to look at that brisket. i was like, I don't have to taste that. I know what that tastes like. I know what that looks like. Here's mm. why. And when we get everybody on that same, you know, that same path. That's wild. And same thing at a pizza. You know, it's, um, you know, you talk about two different crafts, low and slow barbecue, hot and fast pizza. Right. So learning the craft of a pizza, <laughs> that was a whole nother thing with, with <laughs> dough. And I thought, I thought pizza was going to be easy. That ain't easy. <laughs> <laughs> Consistent pizza is not easy.
0: No, it's day. not. And I've never, I mean, I'm I, I act, I'm obviously an expert because like I said, mm-hmm. I was cooking during the pandemic yeah. in my house, so I'm an expert on pizza <laughs> and barbecue if you didn't get that from my Weber kettle <laughs> story. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I'm sure it's different, you know, if you're looking, you're not cooking when it comes to barbecue. So mm-hmm. it's tough to kind of not take a peek and see what it's doing. You know, I'm, you're basing everything off of that temperature, just trying to control uh, the airflow.
1: Yeah, if you're... You know, it depends on if you have a single piece of meat or you have meat that's on top of each other, determines how often you need to take a look at that. could
0: not even imagine doing that. So, you know, uh, the the other
1: secret ingredient in barbecue is patience. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you know, know when to leave it alone and know, you know, there's a certain part in barbecue that... That really frustrates a lot of new people is uh, there's a stall moment in yeah. barbecue. It comes up real quick, and then it lives a long time in this one period. Mm-hmm. And during that one period is when all the collagen and all the fats and everything's everything's melting, but it takes a long time to melt that. So, and this is where a lot of home cooks are like, God damn, I've been at this eight hours. But it hasn't, <laughs> you know, we call it giving up the ghost when that, Barbecue is tight, and then it becomes loose, and it's that one bit. and And you talk about temperature; it's feel. You know, if you can pick that brisket up, and it's almost like a cradle baby. You know, it's just it's kind of loose, and but it ain't falling apart. It's not falling apart, and then temperature. So, but the feel. Sometimes the temperature's right, but the feel ain't there. So you have to man. Do I? And this is where sometimes new pit master, or even any pit master, like it's at a right temperature but why isn't yeah. this done i'm like patience my man patience
0: the, the passion that you know you obviously have and you know obviously the experience after mm-hmm. all of these years of doing it but the passion that you have is is uh, i'd imagine one of the most important things in having no, now this multi-location restaurant successful restaurant mm-hmm. business um
1: that's the other secret ingredient
0: passion yeah, yeah. Was there ever a point over all these years where you were just done, didn't want to do it anymore, ready to be out, Um, (laughs) wanted a break?
1: There was was a little break. It it was with my uh, other partners Mm -hmm. that I had. Um, We had a little uh, disagreement of how fast dinosaurs should grow. Mm -hmm. And my commitment was, uh, I'm good for one a year. Mm -hmm. I can do one a year, (laughs) and that's it. I can't do any more. They had other ideas and yeah. at this point, um, you know, about two years ago I bought, I bought the company back. So I went on a little hiatus for about a year and a half, you know, almost two years. And that's when I opened up a Pisa with yeah. and, um So it wasn't so much the, you know, I, I, I still love the brand, but I just, it, it became a thing with my partners. So that's why I bought it back in 2018
0: that's pretty it's pretty amazing and inspirational because you hear, there's so many restaurant owners who either start with or go into a partnership with other mm. people, and that's the thing that completely shuts the whole business down
1: well it, it's 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 good until it is and if you if you have a shared vision and we had a shared vision for about five years, and then i don't know if anyone who ever gets involved with private equity there's um, about a five year point where they want to get paid back. Yeah. So that's right around five years, like, well, we need to really ramp this up. Hmm. I was like, man, I, that ain't going to be me. <laughs> I, I'm just, I don't, I have no passion for that um, go, or no want to do that. We had a lot of, uh, uh, you know, very tense conversations. And I was like, you know what, if you're going to do that, you need to find somebody who's done this,
0: hmm.
1: you know, before, because yeah. it ain't going to be me. So I stepped back. Yeah, and then um, yeah, and and then the relationship wasn't that great. So that's <laughs> when I stepped back. And...
0: What's that feeling like? Kind of being you know in the back seat during that time of things happening.
1: Uh, you know what? It, it wasn't my favorite time <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> because um,
1: you know you see things and you're like, Fuck, there's no, you know, <laughs> yeah. When when you are not the majority owner anymore, you lose, you know, you lose control. Yeah. And at that point, I didn't have the control to you know, do what I needed to be done. So I had to it becomes a big psychological thing. You just like, all right, man, I just do, uh, you know, I'm going to do something else. And that's, you know, that's where P- pizza came from.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, there's there's some great corners and blocks of food in Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my favorites is the Dolores Bakery. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Dolores, you have. Uh, yeah. uh, Mi Casita across the street, mm-hmm. you have the hall place across the street there. I mean, just this really diverse, awesome. Right. If I ever want to get back to my Italian roots, mm-hmm. uh, I go to Deloro's and get one of their cheese calzones, you know, yeah, for yeah, a couple bucks. Uh, <laughs> um, or I go to Vince's, you know, mm-hmm. and, and do the and then Columbus Bakery. Mm-hmm. But then your block as well. I mean, a mm-hmm. pizza, dinosaur barbecue. And then just around the corner, you have Glaze and Fuse, which mm-hmm. is this maybe not pushing the culinary boundaries, but they have this massively successful business. Oh, yeah. And do such a great job with everything that they do there. It's really interesting to kind of see those. I mean, obviously, you're part and two of them, so you have something to do. It's not biased. You accident, know, I'm, I'm, but... I'm
1: very biased. in my favorite corner anywhere. <laughs> yeah, <for sure. laughs> no, I do. I, I love having those two right across the street from each other.
0: Yeah. So, you know, after all these years and all these locations, has there been one that has been just kind of your uh, favorite or one that, you know, you go to and it just kind of feels like this is the well, one? Well,
1: Syracuse that... is always going to be that because that, that's the original. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I got 30. Plus years of history in that building, so oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's kind of an easy one.
0: What's the future of Dinosaur Barbecue?
1: Well, the future, the future is right now is getting on the other side of this pandemic. Yeah, um, you know, someday the uh, my my team that is uh, running this, you know, on the day to day. I hope that they're going to own this someday, mm-hmm. and you know, keep it based in Syracuse and keep it a, a home hometown team but right now it's getting on the other side of you know yeah getting on the other side of this so as far as expansion or like i said man i'm 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 pretty ha- I, I got uh, six restaurants and with Pauly at pieces that's seven so you know my hands are my hands are full right now yeah so um you know i'm i'm, I'm interested in doing things like i did with paulie yeah you know um, that's cool but, you know, we'll see. We'll um, we'll see what happens. But right at this second, it's getting through this uh, this new new wave of the pandemic, the new uh, the new curveballs.
0: It's going to be interesting. We work with um, 165 restaurants across the state and mm-hmm. seeing Erie County, who put their mandate in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago and seeing the what some of those restaurants were doing. And then now today in Syracuse and knowing, hearing the panic and a lot of their voices of mm. what to do and how to do it and all that kind of stuff is, um, I won't say it's scary, but it's just, it's interesting. It's interesting mm. to see how different people who are business owners react to it. And it's also really interesting to see what the public's perception of it is and how that adjusts to their, you know, going out to eat or supporting these local spots. Yeah. I was really, really interested in the beginning of the pandemic Uh, me being the expert that I am, I say that uh, sarcastically, I Mm. said that we were either going to go back to Mayberry, we were going to push everything in our industry up, you know, advance it Mm -hmm. a decade. And uh, I think that's what's happening. Mm. More and more in Syracuse, two years ago, if I tried to show half the people in Syracuse a QR code, they'd look at me like, what the hell is this? Oh, no no doubt. And and now today, most of them are using it to look at their menu and and even order. Which I am going
1: to be... I can't stand it anymore. Like to me, the, a, a menu is a romantic uh, entree into the dining experience. Yeah. I get nothing off that looking at my phone, trying you know, scrolling down. I want the menu back. I really do. I love the romanticism of a restaurant menu. Yeah. I hate the QR code, but we have it, you know, for people that want it. But right. we, we have the menu technology. Yes. Um, in the last couple of years, and, and especially with Dinosaur, we've, uh, man, have we upped our technology game in the last two years. But you had to. There was, you know, um, these moments create, you know, opportunity, I guess. And, um, yeah, it's a different world.
0: Yeah, the accessibility for a lot of these local restaurants to get their, step up their tech game in advance and reach customers. Mm -hmm. I, I always try to tell them, you know, their most important part is creating as little friction as possible. Right for the customer to get your product. And this is helping a lot of them out with that. No doubt. And dropping the cost of it like crazy for them so they have the access to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you know, like anything else, when new technology comes out, it's expensive, and now it's become, you know, the POS systems, the ordering online systems, they become fairly reasonable to, to implement.
0: Well, John, thank you so much for, okay. uh, coming down. Mm-hmm. It's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, nice meeting you. Um, I'm excited. I, I can't wait to tell my father, my mm-hmm. dad, his, uh, favorite area of barbecue is Memphis. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he used to, my dad grew, it was in the restaurant industry and hospitality industry and, uh, all his life. And he has his own barbecue sauce that mm-hmm. just, you know, straight out of Memphis streets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that's exciting. I'll, I'll be excited to tell him that yeah, uh, yeah, you kind of cut your teeth. That was Memphis. the
1: inspiration, no doubt.
0: Well, there it is, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast again. We so appreciate you coming here. We hope you're enjoying these conversations from the palace. Many episodes that we're putting out. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. Make sure you leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the podcast, whatever platform you're on. You know, I, if if you're coming just for these episodes, every single week we put out a brand new podcast with a different restaurant owner or chef or somebody in the industry. And uh, you can find those every single week right on our website at eatlocalnewyork.com. Well, that's all I have for you this week. Make sure you check us out tomorrow as we're going to be releasing episode number four with Dan and Teresa Seeley from the Cider Mill. And then the day after that, episode five, Karen, Rachel, Ryland from Possibilities, And we're going to be finishing things up Episode six with Adam Weitzman. Thanks so much for checking out this episode. We're going to catch you back here tomorrow on the Local New York Podcast.